Good morning, Seven Mile Road. It's good to see everybody today. Let's just open up with a word of prayer before we start. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace towards us. That for many of us, you have opened up our eyes to see the beauty of your son, that he is Messiah, that he is king, that he is savior, that he is Lord, that he's the son of God, that he's the second person of the Trinity, that he's the ultimate king of all. I thank you for that truth, Lord. I pray that you would help us to realize that truth and live deeper in that truth even more today. And if there's people here whose eyes have not been opened up with that truth, I pray that you do that today by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Please, we ask you of this. We ask this of you. Amen. I want to start you guys off with this question. Who do you say that he is? Everyone believes in Jesus. He was a historical figure. He was real. The difference is a lot of people put Jesus in the wrong category. Many people believe he was just a good teacher. Yes, he was a good teacher. Absolutely the best teacher. But he was so much more than that. Some people say he was a great spiritual teacher. This is truth. But he was so much more than that. Some people say he was just one of the prophets. He was prophetic, there's no doubt about that, but he's far greater than that. Jesus is the Messiah, and today Jesus is going to teach us what category to put him in. We've been studying through this book of Mark, and Mark knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows that he's the son of the living God. He knows that he's divine. We see that in Mark 1.1. He states that, but in between Mark 1.1 and our text today, in chapter 8, verse 29, you hear no proclamation that Jesus is Messiah. So they see this dude unlike any dude they've ever seen in their life. He's walking on water. Demons are screaming out. He's preaching with authority that they've never even heard of. He's feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. He's doing the miraculous. No one's even ever heard of these things, never mind seeing these things. And everyone's like, they're not questioning whether he's great. They're questioning what category do we put Jesus in. And today we're going to see that the Father reveals to the disciples that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus asks the right questions that leads to that ultimate truth. So today, as a preacher, my ultimate goal all the time is to teach the scriptures. And I want you guys to be encouraged. I want you to find hope in a fallen world. Hope in a sinful nature. I want you to be encouraged. And this truth should encourage you more than any other truth there is. That Jesus Christ is Messiah. He's King. He's Savior of the world. He's the Son of the living God who came to rescue us from our sin. This is a pivotal point in the gospel. Because after this revelation, the rest of the gospel, you will see, it's the theology of the the death and resurrection of the Christ. And it will change the way that the disciples even view Jesus. It will call them to a more radical obedience, a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And since you know many of my stories come from my father-in-law, it's a grace, a special grace to me. He's a legend. You know that a man's a legend when he can have a mustache and you don't really know it. Let that marinate. Think about it. It's truth. (laughs) So I started dating my wife, Natalie, and I really... She went to a different church. She went to my little brother's church. And um, so 
my little brother played a part in us hooking up, and he will never let me let that forget that. Every time I see him, bro, you better say it right now. I hooked you guys up. You better not forget it. So I met her at this church. The first time I went, for those who don't know, I walked in there. I was being very missional. I said, I'm asking the first pretty girl I see out. I was no joke. Walked up to her, and I said, you want to go out with me? She said, absolutely not. I said, all right. Take care of yourself. <laughs> and so she really said no. It was foolish. We all know that. Let's not lie to each other. And so what happened was I ended up coming back to the church because I had a connection there through my brother. And so Natalie um, sent my brother to come to me and say, tell him to ask me out again. I'll say yes. We all knew that was going to happen. <laughs> and so I, I asked her out with my thick Lynn accent. She still tells me my accent, believe it or not, has toned down a lot. And she said yes. And so in the early stages when we were dating, I just got to meet <coughs> Joe Vec. And so I just got to shake his hand. We didn't get to talk too much. But me and my brother were talking about the beginnings of the relationship between me and Natalie. And for anyone who has a brother, we shared a room. So his bed was on one side, my bed was on the other. And we were talking in between beds and we're saying, yeah, I just met her. He said, I just met her father. He goes, who's her father? I said, Joe Vecchio. I didn't know that he was going to break out into mass hysteria and start crying in the bed. And I'm saying, why is he laughing like this so hard? And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, the Vec. He's the Vec. And I said, I don't understand. He says, I can't even explain it to you. You have to live it. And that was true. <laughs> and so I, he started putting it all together. He said, that's why Joe's already ha always hanging around Nancy. That's why he's always kissing and hugging Natalie. That's why they drive home together. He knew there was a relationship there. He knew Joe was different and had a unique relationship with that family. He knew there was a connection. But it never all got put together until I revealed to him that Joe Vec was Natalie's father. And so then he started saying, oh, that's why that happened. That's why this happened. I didn't know the category to put Joe Vec in. Now I know the category to put Joe Vec in. He's Natalie's father. In a very similar way today, they've been seeing the miracles, they've been seeing the power, they've been experiencing Jesus, and they've never experienced anything like it. And today it's all going to come together. The Father's going to reveal to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's going to radically change how they view everything, how we view everything, and it's a great and encouraging truth. And I want you to be encouraged in that today and ask yourself this question, who do you say that he is? Because today, Jesus is going to teach us that he's the Messiah. And let's start with um, verse 27. I'm actually just going to teach through verse 27 through 30. And it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Me and Matt pronounce it differently. Could be the accent. Could be my foolishness. And on, on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? So he had just healed the blind man in Bethsaida. He was doing a ministry there. He had just opened the eyes of this blind man. Now he's going to open the eyes of the disciple. Now, everything Jesus did have a, had a purpose. Where he went, where he was born, where he ministered. This place had, was of great importance, too. Now, it wasn't just around the corner. These dudes walked 25 miles north to get here. These dudes were walkers. Now, I'm a habitual pacer. My grandfather was a homeless vet. He just walked cities. But I like flat land. And so I walk sidewalks and stuff. Once you start hitting mountains, like Kevin's got us climbing mountains on the passage track. God forgive him, but I love him. And so 25 miles they go to get to this certain place where Jesus is going to reveal, and the Father is actually going to reveal that Jesus is Messiah. This place is important. 
Because in this place, it was a center of idol worship. Baal had been worshipped there. It was a center of worship. The Greek god Pan, they had erected statues and idols to him there. Caesar was declared Lord there. Well, there were monuments and statues to him. He was considered the ultimate authority. So in this place, he brings them the right spot where they're going to have this revelation that Jesus is the ultimate authority, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the King. And Jesus is going to bring them to this place to ask them this question. Who do these people say that I am? Jesus always asked the right questions. And he's always asking questions. And when he did this, it always led to deeper truth and a deeper teaching and a deeper understanding of who he was in the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's doing with his disciples. He knows the answer to every question he asked. He knows it. But he wants to lead them to the truth. This kind of happens with my daughters. Since they were born, we have a little thing we do every night. I say, and I taught them the answer. I said, how much does your daughter love you? And they say, more than the whole galaxy. And so I taught them that truth. I revealed it to them. I know the answer before I say it. But they can live in that truth. They can live in the identity of their father's love. That I love them more than I could ever love myself. That they can find their identity and live in that truth. I'm forever. Very much in the same way, Jesus is asking this question to lead them to the truth that they can live in, that he is their savior, he is their king, he is their savior, and he is for them. He says, who do these people say that I am? The people or men, as it's used in the gospel of Mark, is usually talking about a group of people who do not see Jesus for who he truly is. They haven't experienced special revelation. Their eyes are blind to Jesus as Messiah, as God. So this group is blind, and they're putting Jesus in the wrong category. And let's read verse 28. Because they give him the answer to what people are saying about Jesus and what categories they are putting him in. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Now this is an elite group of dudes. They're not putting him in the farm league. They're not putting him in the D league. We're talking about John the Baptist, Elijah. This is the Mount Rushmore of prophets. So some people would say, we're putting him in a great category here. We're honoring him. But they're the wrong categories. And I want to go through each one, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, so we understand why they were saying this. So you see in Mark 6, 16, King Herod was paranoid because he killed one of the prophets. And he says, he hears of the person and work of Jesus and says, he's got to be John the Baptist resurrected. And so that rumor's going around. Now, John the Baptist was no slouch. The greatest man born of a woman? I mean, that's a category I want to be put in. That's a great category. But that category can't contain Jesus. He smashes the parameters off that category. His majesty, his dignity, his honor, his identity is far beyond anything that category can explain or define. He is far greater than John even though John was a great prophet and a great man. Then they go to Elijah and say, maybe he's Elijah. Once again, Elijah was no joke. This dude was calling, calling, uh, calling fire down from heaven. Anyone called fire down from heaven? This is serious. I mean, you're in a class of your own if you're calling down fire from heaven. He didn't even die. Chariot of fire took him up. He never tasted death. This got to be a good category to put Jesus in. We're honoring him by putting him in this category. No way. 
once again, that category, those boundaries cannot contain the majesty, the honor, the worthiness, the dignity, the identity of who Jesus is. He's far greater than Elijah. Okay, maybe he's one of the prophets. He's got to be one of the prophets. Once again, this is a great crew. No one's here. No one here is one of the prophets. Elisha, Malachi, Jeremiah, maybe he's one of these guys. Once again, that category, those boundaries, those parameters cannot contain the true identity of Jesus. What do all those categories have in common? Their preparatory roles. Their roles that were preparing the way, their roles that were speaking of another, their roles that were getting us ready. Jesus is the fulfillment of their preparation. He's no longer just a prophet. He's the one they were speaking of. He's the one they were speaking of in Genesis 3.15 who would crush the head, who would bring hope to Israel. John the Baptist was preparing the way, pointing to who? Jesus. They're getting us ready. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the salvation. He's the Messiah. He's the one they have been waiting for. That's serious. And so he turns it from who do they say that I am, the group that's putting Jesus in all the wrong categories. He says, who do you say that I am? You've seen what I've done. You've heard my word. You've had relationship with me. Now, who do you say that I am? Now, you've got to understand, since they've been introduced to Jesus in his ministry, their minds have been blown. They've never heard or seen anything like this. This dude, just in the, the previous scriptures, he spit on someone's eyeballs and made them see. What's going on here? What is this dude doing? What is he all about? What category do we put him in? I'm sure many of them pondered the question, could this be the Messiah? Is this the one we're waiting for? Is this the chosen one? So when I say Messiah, I want you to hear it's synonymous with Christ, and it means anointed one, a chosen one. So a few things they were waiting for with the Messiah. He would be anointed and appointed to a particular task. He would give it, be given the power to perform that task. He would be the ultimate hope of Israel. He would fulfill all their promises. He would have a unique relationship with God. He would come from the line of David. And he would be the final heir to the throne. I mean, he's the ultimate king. There's no kings after him. He's the best king that ever will be, past, present, and future. He's on the throne. He's king. He's the ultimate authority. Israel would be redeemed by this Messiah. Israel would be rescued by this Messiah. So if they're going to proclaim that he is the Christ, this is something you say casually on the street. Man, that dude could be the Christ. Maybe he's the Christ. If you're going to make that statement, it, it carries a tremendous amount of weight. And these disciples knew that. They knew what they were saying when you are the Christ. Now, Mark's the simplest of the Gospels. If I wrote a Gospel, it would be Mark. If Matt wrote, ironically, wrote a Gospel, it would be Matthew. And so, me, I just say, Peter said he was the Christ. To me, that's simple. That's power-packed. I'm talking to the Italians. They get what I'm saying. You see, when, Mark, when Matthew's telling about it, just like Matt, he's like his son of little God. The Father revealed it to you. I'll build my church on you. Unbelievable. Wait. Feel that glory going. Feel it. Keep on. Let's do it. To the side, up and down, around. <laughs> but it's saying the same thing. This is still a power-packed statement that he is the Christ. They had to be blown away by this. They're saying, you're the one we've been waiting for. 
You're the one the prophets have been speaking of. You're the one who's going to crush the head of Satan. You're the one who's going to make all things new. You're the one who's going to rule and reign. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're our savior. Wow. Power packed. And so you think that Jesus would say, go tell this to everybody. But once again, Jesus goes, shh, don't tell them yet. You see him doing this consistently throughout the gospel. He'd heal someone and tell them, don't tell anyone. And then they disobey God and they tell everybody. <laughs> but he made the attempt. So he tells his disciples, don't say, and let's read, just read that in verse 30 real quick so we hit that. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So let me just give you why I think he did that. Jesus is going to redefine the role of Messiah, okay? They might have been thinking, the Messiah is here. This is the king. So their thought is, let's make him king. Let's put him on the throne, have people kissing his ring finger. It had political implications. No longer was Herod Antipas king. Now Jesus was the ultimate king. It could have caused, you know, a revolution in a whole different way, in a very fleshly way than Jesus would have wanted it or planned it or destined for it to happen. Jesus says no, because they have no idea. In verse 31, right after he's going to tell them he's the Messiah, he's going to tell them that he's going to be dying and be resurrected. They're not going to be expecting that. If he says he's the Messiah, we've got to make this guy king. They have all their preconceived notions of what a Messiah could be. And no one could have guessed what, how Jesus was going to play the role of Messiah. Who would have pinned him to the cross? If the Messiah comes, everyone should be worshiping and adoring him, bowing down. He's wearing gold. He's floating above stuff. But no. He says, this is a suffering Savior. I'm going to be a murdered Savior. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to be resurrected for your justification. He's going to redefine it and say, don't say anything yet, because I'm going to teach you what Messiah means. And believe me, they will have their time where they won't stop preaching it from the rooftops after he rises again and he ascends, and he sends them on mission. So, Jesus is not only king of the Israelites, we know through further revelation, Jesus is king of all. He's king of all creation, king of all people, king of all tribes. And so this should cause us to worship him. So when the Messiah is heard, when our disciples heard he was Messiah, they had to go to a new level of obedience because they knew his true identity. It stepped everything up. In the same way, disciples today, we have to know Jesus was the Messiah, a loving, gracious, merciful Messiah. We should worship and adore him, love him, and obediently follow him because he wants the best for us. He cares for us. We're his children. He's a loving savior. Secondly, these dudes must have been like, you're the Messiah? You're hanging out with us? I'm one of the Messiah's disciples? That probably blew their mind. And so it spoke to them that God was still love. I'm sure many people said, there's no Messiah coming. That's a myth. They promised the Messiah. We've been waiting for Messiah for years. We thought he was coming in 500 AD, man. There's no way this is the Messiah. People had lost hope. Israel had lost hope. The world was losing hope. And now they knew that God was still love that so much that he sent his son to suffer, to die, to be here for us. Let's not take that lightly. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we think God has to do certain things for us. We, we feel entitled. God had to send his son. Do you know that he didn't? Do you know that if we all experienced the wrath of God for our sins that we have committed, that would have been just? 
But God is love. He's both merciful and just. And he has sent his son for you, me, and all his people to save and to rescue us. He is our savior. That's amazing that the son of God came to earth. I'm still blown away by that every day. He did not have to do that. He did not have to be humiliated. He did not have to be murdered. He did not have to be flogged. He did not have to be whipped. But he did it for you and me because of our sins, because he loves us, and because God is love. And I want to encourage you in that. God is for us. Please remember that. I want you to have hope in a fallen world. It can get tough out there. I know it. I know it can. It gets tough in a fallen world. It gets tough with our sinful nature. It gets tough working in a tough economy. It gets tough having a relationship. It gets tough falling short. It gets tough knowing the future. But God is for you. He has you in his hands. He loves you. He sent Jesus from you, for you, because he knew that we were going to fall short. We were going to sin. But he has reconciled us through the Father, through the blood of the Savior. Please remember that. Please live in that truth. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're not just forgiven because you're going to do the right thing next time. You're forgiven for the worst sin that none of us know about that you have committed. Because of this Savior. Because he took that worst sin on the cross. He took it to the grave. And it is finished. Please live in that truth. The third thing, there's always going to be two groups. There's always going to be two groups. There's going to be people who by God's grace put Jesus in the right category, and there's going to be people who reject Jesus as Messiah. So I want to talk to this first group, which is most of us today. I want you to know that you are saved because of grace, because the Father has revealed to you that Jesus is the Messiah. You are not one of the better people who made the right decision. You are someone who a loving God had mercy on you, and you responded in faith because God is good. I want you to know that it is finished I want you to know that it's only by God's grace that you look at that cross and you don't see foolishness, but you see beauty. You don't see the murder of a a fool, but you see the freedom of men. That doesn't happen by flesh or blood. That happens by the Spirit of God who's had mercy on you. God has smiled on us. He has reconciled us with him. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we look at the cross And Jesus is amazing to me. He's amazing to me. I see the Son of God. I see the Messiah. I see the Savior. I see the King because of the Father, because of grace, not because of me. And that has changed us. That has saved us. That has rescued us. Where would we be if the Savior didn't come? God has smiled on us. He has reconciled us. That's something to rejoice in every day of your life. This next group. This is a group you don't want to be in. Now, I believe we have a choice. I'm not one of these dudes that are more excited about seeing John Calvin in heaven than Jesus. I believe we have a choice. And I believe the most important decision we'll ever make is what category we put in Jesus. We put Jesus in. Do we put our faith in him as the Messiah, as the son of the living God who died for us? Or do we say he was just a good teacher? or just a spiritual teacher, or just a good man, or just one of the prophets, or religion fanatic, or even worse. That has eternal consequences, and I want you guys to know that today. If you reject Jesus as the Messiah, that has eternal consequences. You experience the wrath of God. And I want to plead with you, if you're in that category, 
God loves you, he made it so easy because he did all the work. All you have to do is put your faith in this loving Savior. His righteousness becomes yours. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit will transform you and change your life. Please believe this. I'm speaking from experience. He will change your life. He will show you the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the Savior. You experience current joy and eternal joy like you could not imagine. And finally, unlike the disciples, we are not told to be quiet. That had its time and it had its season. It is time to tell every person, every family member, every friend, every coworker, everyone in your time, every city, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all the world. Everybody, please. This is the most important thing you will tell those you love and those who you don't even know yet. If you truly love them, you will tell them of the Savior because the gospel is the only answer here on earth that will save men. It was the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's the answer to all our sins, all our problems. It's the answer and it's the salvation of the world. Please, please be on mission and tell everyone about the Savior. Finally, Seven Mile Road, we have been redeemed. The Savior has come for us. He has saved us. He has rescued us. God is love, and he sent his son for us. We've got to rejoice in this truth that we see the beauty of Christ, that we see him as our Savior, that we know this truth, that we live in this truth. And let's rejoice in a Messiah who came for us. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you so much. We know it's not by flesh and blood that we see the glory of your son, Jesus, understand the knowledge and the riches of his grace. And we understand you did this for your glory. And you thought it was good. And you thought it was awesome. And you reconciled us to yourself. And we thank you for that. That could not happen without this Messiah. Help us to remember this Messiah and honor this Messiah and worship this Messiah every day, every minute. And we thank you so much, Father. Amen.